take your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Second Peter and get Isaiah chapter 1 as well. Would it be all right to turn to quite a few verses of Scripture this morning? Would that be all right? Give your thumbs and fingers a workout. I, I don't really know what uh, type of churches people have when they can go to church without a Bible. I mean, we meet to hear from God and we have His Word uh, to see what He has to say. And the message that I have this morning, I've sort of stewed on it for probably, I don't know how many years, and I've never preached the message that I'm going to preach here. But as you're turning to 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says in verse number 1, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. The Bible says about these last days, which I believe that we're living in, people are walking after their own lusts, certainly. They're scoffing the things of God. And what the Scripture here tells us to do is to be mindful, have our minds full of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. You know, many times I think in Christianity we want to emphasize just the words of the apostles or the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and certainly we should, but those are not the only words that we should fill our minds with. It says that we should be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. The prophets. If in your Bible, if you're in Isaiah 1 with your other hand, and I would just turn to the prophets in the Bible, the holy prophets. It encompasses a large part of your Old Testament. A good portion of your Bible, I'm holding the prophets there and between my fingers there. And I would say, if without fearing contradiction, that the words of the holy prophets, people are not only not mindful of them, most people don't even know what they are. I even, I'm not talking about Christian people, I'm not talking about lost people. I remember when I graduated from Bible college with my degree in theology and I started into the ministry and I was reading my Bible one day in one of the prophets. I don't remember if it was Obadiah or Micah or Zephaniah, which one it was, but I was reading in the minor prophets and I got through with my Bible reading and it just dawned on me I had no idea what I just read. You know, a lot of times we are familiar with the Psalms, we are familiar with the Proverbs, we are acquainted with the writings of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. We've read over the kings without much trouble, but when it comes to these, 
we're a little shallow. Would you not agree with me? If I even asked the average preacher if he could stand up and talk to me quickly about Obadiah, he would probably have a little problem. And yet God says that especially in the last days, we need to be mindful of the words of these holy prophets. I think there's a reason why many times we don't read these holy prophets. Because in them, they say a lot of peculiar things. Their message is a strange one many times. If you've read through the Bible, if you've read these prophets here, you know there's some strange messages in there. That does not mean that they're to be discounted or ignored or not read or put in your mind just because they're strange to you. Because there's something God wants us to understand in these prophets, every one of them. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all profitable. It's all needful for me, especially God says in the last days. We still need a prophet. We need somebody to proclaim the truth of God. Well, these little, these prophets here, these holy prophets, there are many of them. They had strange messages. They had messages that were about future things. Many of them are yet in the future. Much of what is in the prophets has never been fulfilled. It shall be fulfilled, but it's not not fulfilled right now. They speak of future things. Then these prophets, Jesus said, after he rose from the dead, he walked with two of the discouraged disciples. And the Bible says he opened to them their understanding and began to preach to them about himself through the prophets. So there were things his own disciples had no knowledge of, even in the prophets, about the person of Jesus Christ. So they they didn't just speak about strange doctrines. They didn't just speak about future doctrines. They spoke about Jesus. They spoke about Christ. And then what I would want to say finally about their message, they spoke to people right where they were living. The prophets gave a message, a present day message, a probing message right where people lived. In other words, he dealt with their lives. He dealt with their nation. He dealt with the circumstances and the Conditions of their own heart. Thereby you always know a prophet. A prophet's not giving people what they want to hear. A prophet is telling people the truth about what God thinks about their present condition. So these prophets have a a varied message. In Bible college or in seminary, I'll just sum it up for you. What they do as they teach these, they say, well, there's the major prophets. And then there's the minor prophets. The major prophets being Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And then they sort of lump Daniel in there because he's a little unique. And then all the rest after Daniel, they say these are minor prophets. Now the reason they say the ones are major, ones are minor, is just it's not about the importance of what they're saying or the importance of God's call in their life because there's no inferior prophets. All the prophets of God are major. All the words of God are major importance in all of our lives. But they call them major prophets just because of the length of the book and the prophecy. 
That's probably why, unless God hits me upside the head, we will not start a verse-by-verse study of Ezekiel. (laughs) It is such a major prophet, it's probably well above your pastor. Not to teach you to preach, but to teach you to preach without boring you to tears. It's just a major book. It's not something you can just glance over. It it takes major study. It it would be worthy of that. I'm just saying it's so large. It's so expansive. That's why we call them major. These prophets, and I'm not going to deal with Daniel this morning. I want to try to sum up something if I can. This this is a, a big task. I want to take Isaiah... Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and I want to show you something about them. These men, God asked these men to do things he didn't ask anybody to do. Strange things. (laughs) Isaiah had to walk naked and barefoot and preach. Ezekiel's wife died and he couldn't cry. He had to look like a crazy man in some of his prophecies that God had him to act out. He not only preached, he had to act out things. Very, very strange. Jeremiah had one friend. We read some words from Jeremiah during the Sunday school. Had one friend. One friend. He gets kidnapped. God lets him get kidnapped by people that hate him. And they drag him down into Egypt. And yet he continues to prophesy. A much better way to view all of the prophets is not in major or minor, but divide it based on the captivity. There are prophets that prophesied before the captivity of Israel. There are prophets that prophesied during the captivity of Israel. And there are prophets that prophesied after the captivity. That's a better way to look at it. The prophets are not in order chronologically, all right? That's something you need to understand. If you were to put the first prophet... In order, as we get to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah would not be the first. He would be down around about five or six. The first one would be Jonah. But God puts them all in in the order that he does in our preserved Bible for a purpose. I had somebody chide with me not long ago. I was preaching away and I was preaching uh, something through and showed something out of the Bible from the chapter headings of the Bible. And somebody got upset because I I was saying that, that I thought the chapter headings were where they were supposed to be. Well, sure, I think the chapter headings are where they're supposed to be. You're not smart enough to change them. (laughs) I think every word of God is important. You say, well, the translator put, yes, but you're not smart enough to change them. And I think there can be something to be learned from not just the chapters of the Bible and the verses in the Bible, but even the order of the books of the Bible. There's something, but I'm not going to preach that this morning. Nothing in your Bible is an accident. It's not just a coincidence. It's not that way. This is a holy book. It has more things in it than you can comprehend it to have. But when I look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, I want to read a verse. Would you go to Romans chapter 3? Because these prophets not only prophesied, their messages were about strange things and peculiar things, and their messages were about future things, and their messages were about Jesus Christ, and their messages were present decrees to people where they were living. There's something else that is a theme in these prophets. 
And I think it's so important as we look in these last days that we live in. That's why I think one of the reasons their writings are so important for us. Would you look at Romans 3.21, the Bible says this, But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The prophets, among other things, what they testified to, what they witnessed of, was about the righteousness of God. They had a message of righteousness. Righteousness is something that is lacking in our day. Righteousness is something that you will have to have if you are going to meet God clean. If you are going to be able to go into God's heaven, you've got to have righteousness. And the prophets deal with that subject. What is righteousness? In the old 1828 dictionary, righteousness is the holy principles or the holy affections of the heart. It is conformity of life to God's law. Righteousness includes all that we call justice, honesty, And virtue. Is there not a lack of justice in the land? Is there not a lack of honesty and virtue? Is it very rare indeed to find someone's life that has conformed to the very law and words of God? Isn't it a rare thing to find somebody with holy affections of heart and holy principles of life? That that's what righteousness is, and it's a great lack. And man does not like to talk about righteousness very much because of his condition. The prophets deal with righteousness. As you're in Isaiah, let's start with Isaiah first. Would you go to Isaiah 26? Aren't you glad I'm not preaching every chapter of every book? But I want to hit some highlights about how these prophets witnessed about the righteousness of God and what that means for you and I. has a great message for us. Isaiah chapter 26, the Bible says in verse number 1, In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth, may enter in. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusted in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Drop down to verse 7. The way of the just is uprightness. Thou most upright dost weigh the path of the just. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. Watch verse 9. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. What a, what a phrase. As they say, I'm laying there and I, I want you, God. <laughs> with my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when, watch it. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let, watch it, verse 10, let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. 
In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Isaiah says, God, I want you, I desire you, but the more I meditate on you, I find out that, that your judgments need to be in the earth so that the inhabitants of this world will learn righteousness because they don't understand righteousness. They don't know it and they don't want to know it. But if you will send your judgments into the earth, then they'll learn what righteousness means. He says, because I watch the wicked and if you... Show the wicked kindness if you do good to them. They still don't learn about righteousness. Because they're not interested in righteousness. Isaiah is preaching about righteousness. Go to Isaiah 45. Isaiah chapter 45, the Bible says in verse number 5. Isaiah 45 verse 5. I am the Lord. And there is none else. There is no God besides me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light, create darkness. I make peace, create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Verse 8. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. He said, God Almighty saying, I'm trying to rain righteousness down. I'm trying to bring righteousness up from the earth. And yet there are people that are striving. They're not, they're not interested. They despise my righteousness. They're not interested in it. Verse number 18 of the same chapter. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I'm the Lord and there's none else. I've not spoken in secret in the dark place of the earth. I said not on the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Look at verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the earth. For I am God and there's none else. I have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. You know that's also quoted about our Savior. It will be a righteous thing when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of the Father. That's a righteous thing. It's a right thing to do. Well, they're not doing it now. Verse 24, Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. It's a very important verse going forward. But you know we live in a day where people don't believe that God is righteous. They believe that he's guilty. God's not right or he wouldn't let this happen in the world or he wouldn't let this happen in my life. You know where that comes from? It comes from a thought that really I am more righteous than God. It's a misunderstanding of righteousness. You know what Isaiah is saying? <laughs> Isaiah is saying, God is righteous and all you people, you don't care about that. You're not interested in that. You don't believe that, but you need that. You know what even Job said? The Bible says in, in Job chapter 35, verse 2, it's Elihu quotes him, he says, You said my righteousness is more than God's. Did you know that was in the Bible? Elihu said, I heard you. 
Job, you said my righteousness is more than God's. You know why he said that? He didn't believe God was doing right in his life. He believed God was guilty. No, God is right. God is always right. The prophets are pointing out the fact that we are not right. And He's laying man in the dust and showing us our, our failure and showing how we come short of the glory of God. And really, what He's saying is, He's saying Romans chapter 3 verse 10, There is none righteous, no, not one. That's true this morning, even in this building. The prophet's letting us know we're not righteous. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. And this is really the verse I want to show you in Isaiah 64. What Isaiah is trying to teach us about righteousness is this. Isaiah 64, the Bible says in verse number 5, Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In those is continuance, and we should be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our what? Righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Isaiah, as he continues to tell us about God's righteousness, he tells us, man, you are not righteous. Even when you are righteous, your righteousnesses are filthy rags. What Isaiah teaches us, that the best we can do is filthy when you look at it. And when God looked, filthy, filthy rags. Boy, that, that's offensive to man. That's offensive to religion. You can do all the religious things, but all the righteousness of religion is a filthy, leprous rag. It's not real righteousness. It stinks. It's ugly. So many people that think they can work their way to God. What do you think you could do to impress God? What filthy rag could you put on that God would accept and recognize and be impressed with? You're going to be baptized. You're going to take communion. You're going to be a good little boy. You're going to treat your neighbors well. You're going to give your money. You're going to give them to philanthropy. You're going to, you're going to uh, be a humanist and help people. What, what are you going to do? God says every good, righteous thing you can do, the prophet said, it's filthy. No matter what it is. That's a message that needs to be preached. That's a message that needs to be declared. It leaves us in the dust. It ought to bring us to a place of humility that the very best I can do is vanity and filthy rags. That's the message of the prophet Isaiah. Look at the message of Ezekiel. I'm going to jump Jeremiah just for a minute. Look at Ezekiel chapter 3. Not only is our righteousness filthy, it's not enough. Our righteousness is not enough. Ezekiel gives us another truth about righteousness. He says in Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse number 20, 
Ezekiel 3 and verse number 20. The Bible says, And when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin. And, in, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live because he is, he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. Look at it again. Ezekiel 18. Off. Repeated. Ezekiel chapter 18. Oh, there's a lesson here. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse number 20. Will you read it with me? Ezekiel 18 verse 20. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgression that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him, and his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness, and committeth iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he hath sinned, in them he shall he die. 25, yet ye say the way of the Lord is not equal. They said, that's not right, Lord. I mean, here's a guy that's lived righteous all his life, and then he turns from sin, and then you're going to judge him just like the wicked. You're going to drop him dead just like you dropped the wicked man. That's not right, Lord. Aren't you going to give him credit? Aren't you going to give him credit for all the years he did right? Lord, that's not fair. That's not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal, or are not your ways unequal? 26. When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness, and committeth iniquity, and dieth in them, for his iniquity that he hath done, shall he die. You see that? One more time. I, Ezekiel chapter 33. There's a lesson here. There's a lesson of this prophet that you need to be mindful of. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 12. Ezekiel 33, verse 12. Therefore thou, son of man, say unto the children of thy people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness, neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trusts his own righteousness, commit iniquity, all his righteousness shall not be remembered. I continue on, I could continue on reading all the way through verse 18. It's the same story. This is the story Ezekiel gives over and over again. He says, you're right. Isaiah said, all your righteousness is filthy. And Ezekiel says, all of your righteousness is temporary. It's not permanent. Not only is your righteousness not enough because it's filthy rag, but your righteousness is not permanent. Because one day you'll be right and the next day you'll be wicked. One day you'll go to church and you'll look like a Christian and the next day you'll blow it and nobody will even know you're a Christian by what you think or say or do. And God said, God said, listen to this. 
God said, if you are, if you live righteously and then you get involved in sin, I'm not even going to remember the righteousness that you did. Am I in the Bible? Now, these are the verses that people use to show people you can lose your salvation. But we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about righteousness. We're talking about righteousness. Now, this is, this is what I want to say to you. This is what the prophet's saying to you. You know how many people think because they have grown up in church and they've done pretty good most of their lives and they've treated people well and they've done pretty good and they've given to the church and they, that it will excuse them for the wickedness that they want to do and that God will give me credit. In other words, man, I've lived a good life. I mean, he's going to understand if I do this, if I mess up here. That's not the testimony of the prophet. The testimony of the prophet says you can have this long testimony of righteousness and when you turn to wickedness, God's going to drop the hammer on you. Is that not what he said in this Old Testament prophet? Now this book, the Bible tells us to be mindful of the words of the Holy Prophets. You know what I'm seeing? You know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing people that live a Christian life and they think because of what they've done in the past that they have an excuse now for the wrong decisions they're making in the future. And that doesn't work. That doesn't work. God's not going to excuse your wicked decision because you've won 20 people to Jesus Christ. God's not going to excuse your wicked decision just because you grew up in a Christian home and you were a good little boy. No. Our righteousness is temporary. It just doesn't last very long, does it? You could testify about yourself. You get so excited about God and then you turn around and you're just not the least interested in Him. Our righteousness is temporary. And our past righteousness does not excuse our future iniquity. That's the testimony of the prophet. Now let's go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 4. Our righteousness is temporary. Our righteousness is filthy. Jeremiah is going to give us one other thing. Jeremiah chapter 4. Thank you for turning in your Bibles this morning. You know, some people have never read a chapter all year out of the book of Jeremiah. And so today, you get some of the prophet. Amen. Isn't that a good word, prophet? (laughs) Spelled two ways, and they're both good. Jeremiah chapter 4, the Bible says in verse number 2, And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. Talks about God's righteousness. Chapter 9, Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse number 24. Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him that glorieth, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Chapter 23. Jeremiah 23. You can do it. Keep turning. I want you to see what God said. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 5. The Bible says this. Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. 
And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Not just the Lord the righteous, but the Lord our righteousness. Not only do we find from Isaiah that our righteousness is filthy and from Ezekiel that our righteousness is temporary, but our righteousness in Jeremiah is not God's righteousness. But it can be. Though our righteousness is not enough and though our righteousness is not a permanent, our righteousness is also not comparable to the righteousness of our God. His righteousness is perfect. You know the Bible says this about Jesus. This is about Jesus. Now watch this now. Most sinners think that when they stand before God, God will judge them in light of other people. In other words, if my sins are not as bad as so-and-so's sins, I'll be all right. That's not the judgment. Some people think that their judgment when they stand before God will just be if their good outweighs their bad. They'll be their own standard. If they have a little bit more good than they have bad, then God will let me in. And that's not the standard either. By, by the way, I would challenge anybody that would say that because your bad from the, from the cradle to the grave is a whole lot more than any good you've ever done. You know what God says the standard of judgment is when you meet the Lord? Acts 17.31 God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained whereof He has given witness to all men in that He raised Him from the dead. God says, you and I, everyone that lives, will stand in judgment in righteousness compared to one man. And God lets you know who that man was and He wrote, He raised Him from the dead. So when I get to heaven, when I stand before God, God's going to look at me and he's going to look at that man that he raised from the dead and he's going to judge me compared to the righteousness of the one he raised from the dead. He's going to look at my righteousness compared to his. How do you think you're going to do? You know, that ought, that ought to make the average person shake in their boots. That God Almighty is going to compare your life to the life of Jesus Christ. God Almighty is going to compare your righteousness to the righteousness of His Son. And I'm telling you, we don't measure up. Well, what are we going to do? Look at the text again from Jeremiah. He said in verse 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David... A righteous branch. God says, I know you can't get there, so I'm going to throw you a branch. (laughs) Look at chapter 33. He says it again. Jeremiah chapter 33. I love it. Jeremiah 33 and verse number 15. 
In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell safely and this is the name where which she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. We've got to grab a hold of the branch and the last time I checked a branch came from a tree. You know how many times the Bible called Jesus Christ the branch? He called Him the branch in Isaiah. He said, out of the stem of Jesse, there's going to come a branch. And He's going to rule in righteousness. He's that branch of God, that righteous branch of God that's extended to man. Zechariah talked about Him. Zechariah said this, he called him my servant the branch. And he said, behold the man whose name is the branch. And it's all in capital letters. God knows that your righteousness is filthy. God knows that your righteousness is temporary. Therefore, he's reaching you a branch, not of your righteousness, but of his righteousness. And it extends from a tree that that righteous one hung on for you and I. And Isaiah said, I know I've, I just read the one verse about your garments in Isaiah about righteous. Isaiah said, I know my righteousness is filthy rag. But he said in Isaiah 61, but you have the garments of salvation and you can cover me with a robe of righteousness. I don't want my righteousness. I want the righteousness that you can give. That's what the prophet said. You need a branch. You need righteousness that you don't have and that you can never get. It'll have to be given to you. Hasten, Romans chapter 3. We'll bring it home. What I'm telling you this morning, if you don't have the very righteousness of God, there's no hope for you. You've got to have God's righteousness. Watch it again, the verse where we started with our prophets. Romans 3, 21, But now the righteousness of God, without the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Look at it. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Do you see that? Look at the next chapter, Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Romans 4 verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And then the text that all of us want to go, but we don't get it in context for some reason. When we talk to people about being saved, Romans chapter 10, would you turn there? He said in verse number 1 of Romans chapter 10, don't miss the first part of Romans before I go into the middle part of Romans. 10. He said, Romans 10, 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. We want everybody to be saved. But here's the simple truth. Verse 2, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. They didn't get what the prophet said. They didn't understand the message. They ignored it. Being ignorant of God's righteousness. That's why they killed them all. They put them to death. They being ignorant of God's righteousness. 
and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God for Christ is the end of righteousness to everyone that believeth. Every verse in this chapter. He keeps talking, verse 5, about righteousness. Verse 6, the righteousness which is of faith. Look at verse 9. Now we get to verse 9. Now we get to verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto what? Righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's not just praying a prayer. It's trusting the one that died on that cross that is righteous and I am not righteous and I need His righteousness. I need God's righteousness. My righteousness is temporary. My righteousness is filthy. But God's righteousness is eternal. And I've got, when I stand before God, remember the comparison? God said, I'm going to judge you by that man. And guess what? I'm in that man. And that man is in me. And I'm accepted in the beloved because I, my testimony is the testimony of the Apostle Paul in, in, in uh, uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is of the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith. I've told you before I said it at the funeral the other day. I had a, a good time going to Mount Vernon many years ago, seeing the tomb of our founding father, George Washington. Very simple. Very simple. You'd think, you'd think the first president of the United States would have the most elaborate shrine there was in the world. Oh, no. You just walk in, there's gates. There's a marble coffin. There's a marble coffin. One's got George Washington in it. The other's got his wife. And all that's in there is one little sign. One little sign. It's on the back wall. It says, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Though we were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. That's all that's there. But I walked outside, and his nephew, who became a, a Supreme Court justice, there's a little monument to him. And on that monument, it said he lived a Christian life and all this. But then it said this. Trusting only in the righteousness of Jesus Christ for his salvation. That is salvation. My faith is in you, Jesus, not in me. My faith is in your righteousness, not mine. 
and I've received your righteousness as a gift. I've just believed in my heart. I've called upon your name. And when I called upon your name from my heart, I believed unto righteousness. And you've given me something that I could never have. You have given me your own righteousness. I wonder this morning, do you have your righteousness or do you have God's? Do you have the very righteousness of God? There's only one way to get it. That's by faith and trust in Him and what He did. Salvation is not something you achieve, but someone you believe. And He becomes your righteousness. You can put it on my tombstone. Trusting alone in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a thing to say. That's what the prophets are trying to witness to us. It's laying us down in the dust. And it's lifting up Jesus. You're not right. But he is. And he wants to give his righteousness to you. He can clothe you. He can give you what you can't have on your own. Do you have your righteousness? Or do you have Jesus's? Or do you have none at all?